Hello. Hi. Welcome to Truly. What was that? It was me putting my glasses on the table. It sounded like. It sounded like. It sounds like someone's beating someone to death. Oh, no, that's. I, I took my glasses off so I could rub my eyes and I laid them on the table next to the microphone. Oh, okay. That. Did you do it again? Yes. <laughs> okay. Because like, I keep hearing it. <laughs> Okay, I'm putting them back on my face now. <laughs> uh, anyways, hello. Hi. You should just keep all that in. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous, a podcast about true crime and cryptids. Cryptids being very loose lately. I'm your host, Hattie James. And I'm your other host, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Hattie. I mean, Why are we... we've done we've done some cryptids that aren't really cryptids, more folklore stuff before, so you know. It's, it's, uh, it's about to get worse. Loosey goosey. Loosey goosey. My question is why are we recording at ten at night on a Monday? <laughs> Oh, I'm tired. Okay, so yes. So if you're new to this podcast, uh, beginning of the week, we upload an episode about cryptids, and one of us tells a story about cryptids in that cryptid episode. Beginning of the week about cryptids. (laughs) Um, And the latter half of the week, the person who did not tell a story about cryptids uh, tells a story about true crime, and then we switch off the next week. Missing anything, Kevin? I think you covered it all. Okay. And Kevin did a absolutely wonderfully depressing podcast uh, about cryptids last week. The cryptid, to be exact, was the squonk? Squonk, yeah. Okay. Squonk. <laughs> I chose it purely based on the name. Like, and then it all went downhill after that. <laughs> yes. Um, mine, however, I chose thinking, yes, this is awesome, because this is my turn to do a cryptid. And I got through all my notes. Then I saw that for your true crime, you have, like, 16 freaking pages of notes. And I said I need to add more notes. And I expanded mine to six pages. And then I realized this is not a cryptid at all. Like, at, at all, Kevin. It's not a cryptid. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about the fact that when I sent you that thing that said 16 pages, that was 16 pages in a Google Doc. And when I imported it into my, like, local word processing program on my computer, it turned it into 20 pages. So I'm sorry. <laughs> and I had six pages and was like, this is freaking awesome and then i put it into into google docs and it became four so google docs if you the formatting if you want to take out the measuring tape on this one you still did five times more than four times more half to four times depending on what font you're using you did more this episode is going to be a lot shorter than than the next one the next one yes Next one's gonna I'm calling it now. It's it's gonna be a train wreck. See, and I try so hard. I'm like, I need to keep this short, and then I get into like English major paper writing mode, and then I'm like, crap, no, stop talking, stop talking. I can't, I can't look at all this information, and I left out a lot. 
Anyway, that's yeah. next episode. This is this episode. Yeah. Let's talk about your thing. So I was originally going to do The Vampire of Manchester, Vermont. After seeing the photo you sent of the 16 pages of notes, I'm just going to talk about vampires in general. I think vampires count as cryptids. Uh, they're not boggers. Okay, if we're calling a boggart a cryptid, I think we can call a vampire a cryptid. Except a boggart has actual, like, sighting okay this is let me let me explain to you what because raymond t mcnally in his 1974 book a clutch of vampires actually goes into why vampires are a class of their own um mcnally states that vampires belong to a distinct order unlike any other genus of horrible beings mcnally states that unlike other monsters and demons um they exist alone in the twilight region between life and death which i think is very poetic uh, but he goes on to explain that unlike the werewolf or Bigfoot or, you know, some of like a, a cryptid, the vampire is not alive. However, unlike ghosts and poltergeists, the, vi- the vampire is not non-corporeal and not dead. Uh, the vampire is not a zombie as he is not a re- reanimated corpse. Rather, the vampire defines the class of the undead. The vampire, while it should be dead, is a body that is unable to decay or rot, and the consciousness is all there, albeit with a malevolent intention of finding sustenance in the form of human flesh and blood. So it's not, yeah, so I wouldn't really consider that a cryptid. It's not a creature that you can't prove nor disprove. Science has been able to almost definitively explain the presence of quote-unquote vampires. So I'll just jump right into it. Uh, the interesting thing about vampires is that the lore about them permeates all around the world and through millennia. Uh, vampires can be found in South America, Europe, China, Slavic cultures, Russian cultures, Indian cultures, South Asian cultures, colonized American cultures, and there's even vampire-like creatures that can be found in some Native American cultures. They're very pervasive in, in, in world cultures. Um, medieval to modern European lore defines a vampire in most cases as a deceased person who returns to their loved ones and or the townsfolk or the place where they are buried to feed off them and in some cases turn them into vampires. In Russian lore, vampires were either witches or others who rebelled against the Orthodox Church who had recently passed. Uh, the Wabanaki tribes in New England had a creature called the uh, Skadagamuk. White boy translated to ghost witch. Uh, which is similar to the Russian vampire in the fact that it's typically said to have been created upon the death of an evil magician. I don't know the proper term when referring to Native American mythology, uh, but someone who had powers, passed away, and refused to stay dead, so comes to life at night to attack you. Uh, Slavic and Chinese lore consider a corpse whose burial ground was jumped over by an animal susceptible to becoming a vampire, and according to Wikipedia, if a corpse had a wound that wasn't treated with boiling water, that body may become a vampire. Ooh. Yeah. So pretty much how do different cultures say that you can prevent a body from becoming a vampire? Uh, the widespread belief was to bury the body upside down, which I don't understand. I looked. I don't understand. Okay. Uh, so- I would think that a real good way of preventing it would be made it no body no vampire you also you also got to realize that um going on that uh, a lot of vampire lore in european and western culture is based around the christian faith 
and for the longest time, if it wasn't a, you are in the ground blessed by a priest, your soul cannot rest because you didn't get a Christian burial. So they did not believe in cremation on a innocent. It's that it goes into like all this other stuff. Like um, you, some European cultures believe that the severing of the tendons in the knees of the dead would prevent the vampire from being able to move around. In Greece, uh, putting a piece of pottery that said Jesus Christ conquers and a wax cross on the top of the body was enough to prevent vampirism, which I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, to each culture their own, it's not my place to judge cultures, but that just seems like such a Bible Belt United States thing to do. All I can think of is those bumper stickers Say Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, many scholars believe that a co- the coin that uh, Grecians put into the corpse's mouth to pay the toll for the river Styx also served a double purpose of preventing any demons from entering the body, which could have influenced the lore of vampirism. Uh, this act is similar to other widespread preventative causes, such as placing sickles and valuables by the grave to basically pay demons not to touch the dead. Like, hey, hey dude, here's some money, and here's something nice and shiny and valuable. Please, please don't possess my dead grandma and turn her into a vampire. Please. These valuables would also appease the dead themselves so they wouldn't have the urge to rise from their coffin and lay waste to the town. I'll, I'll pay you to stay in the ground. Another thought to prevent a vampire from attacking a town in China was that placing a sack of rice by the grave would prevent a town from being haunted by the vampire as the vampire would feel compelled to count every grain of rice which sounds weird until you realize that this myth is also found in Indian and other South Asian cultures as well as with witches and demons in South America. In Europe it was often done as well but with poppy seeds or millet. Scholars, and this I find interesting, scholars believe that this could be linked to an association with vampires and either obsessive compulsive disorder or erythmomania, which are both mental illnesses in case those listening don't know. OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, is an anxiety disorder in which a person has anxiety-induced obsessions which manifest in patterns, rituals, and compulsions. For instance, I have OCD. I need to trace patterns with my eyes, uh, like, and I I do the, the counting in like um, fives, twos, threes, and sometimes with fours. And I have like this one pattern that's been going through my head for the last twenty years. Hello. Sorry, I just lowered my standing desk because I. It sounded like the apocalypse. So it sounded like the moon crashing into the earth. Yes. Um. <laughs> anyway, so. Some people with OCD have an expression disorder called arithmomania, uh, which causes the person to feel compelled to count their actions, steps, objects, etc. Examples would be when I chew food, I have to chew um, to a pattern, and then I have to do the pattern three times. And I need to count corners, and I need to count my steps in either sets of two or five. Um, anyways, TLDR... Vampires have arithmomania and OCD. Otherwise, you can say that uh, mental illnesses that caused compulsions that were out of the norm were considered to be linked to vampirism. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting, and I know I've 
heard that in a story before. I just don't remember what? which story it was I was reading. But I've definitely heard that, like, in order to distract the thing, we'll throw the stuff at them and they'll stop and count it. I wish I had known about that in high school because it would have validated me when I was going through my vampire goth phase. (laughs) See, Mom, I am a vampire. I have erythmomania-like symptoms due to my obsessive-compulsive disorder. In Christian cultures, crucifixes, holy water, Bibles, and sacred ground were thought to be items of protection against vampires. Uh, Botanicals such as garlic, wild rose, and hawthorn can also be used to ward off the vampire. Uh, Popular beliefs include the notion that vampires cannot cross bodies of water and cannot enter a home unless they have previously been invited. Some cultures believe placing a mirror facing outwardly against the door would prevent a vampire access, as the vampire's lack of a soul prevents it from having a reflection. I thought that was because mirrors were backed with silver. It could be, but there's also another motion. Like, okay, do you remember um, my, my wedding when I was really paranoid and I kept saying... I can't see myself, my full reflection when I have my entire outfit on. That's because there's there's an old wives' tale that every time you look in the mirror, your reflection is a piece of your soul that gets captured by the mirror. And therefore, if the if a bride were to look at herself fully dressed before she walked down the aisle, she could not give herself to her husband 100% because part of her soul from that day would be trapped in the mirror. That same concept that the mirror can capture your soul, uh, it's believed that it, that goes to why vampires don't have a reflection, because they do not have a soul to be captured. It could also be the silver. That's a very common thing. Um, but I couldn't really find much about silver. I found a lot about iron. Remind me to talk about iron, if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to find a vampire... Some culture said that you had to bring a virgin boy riding, oh riding a, a virgin. No, it's not dirty. It's not dirty. Don't worry. A virgin boy riding a virgin stallion to a graveyard and the horse would balk when it approached the grave of a vampire. In a lot of cultures, this horse had to be black. But in Albania, it was crucial that this horse was white. I don't know why, but I felt like the unicorn could suckle on him. Oh, why do you have to make Back it here? The, the virgins and the horses. You know what? There's probably something to that. I don't know what it is, but there's something to it. Um, other factors for locating a vampire when you had no clue who it was included searching burial sites because if there were holes in the ground by the graves, it was likely that that was a vampire. And right next to that, I wrote, "Can't possibly be bugs." Um, so upon locating a vampire's grave what do you do you know light it on fire not quite Uh, you first you had to be sure that there was a vampire buried in there and it was not an innocent person or an innocent dead innocent corpse non-vampire you had to make sure you were about to desecrate the grave of a vampire Um, so you know how modern vampires such as like um Carmilla and uh Lestat, um Bella Lugosi's Dracula, um, you know how they're all seen as suave, beautiful, porcelain skin with sharp fangs and eternal beauty. Yeah. Well, in most cultures that were pre Bella Lugosi and Twilight, um, you could tell a vampire was a vampire 
due to a slightly healthier appearance than expected of a rotting corpse. Um, but on top of that, there would be bloating, which was typically thought to be either from demonic life forces inhabiting the corpse, or the vampire being full and bloated from gorging on flesh and blood. Which, Gross. yeah, um, vampires would also have hair and nails that appeared to have grown since death, and would often have the blood of the victims either on its face or trickling from its mouth. Now, uh... let's go into, and maybe you can help me with this because you read more about decomposing bodies than me. I think it's safe to say, Kevin. You just read a bunch of books about specifically about. Okay, so let me know if I get anything wrong. Correct me, add anything that I leave out. I'm going to start from the top. Bloating can t- can be caused by uh, by gases during the body's decomposition decomp- being released and having nowhere to go. So the, the body bloats and swells. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, it's basically like the bacteria that's going to town. Is like There's a lot of bacteria in your gut. What keeps it in balance is like, you know, being alive. And then as soon as you're not alive anymore, the bacteria are like, sweet, let's just keep doing what we're doing. But now there's nothing keeping them in check. So they just keep doing their thing and eating stuff. And everything that eats has to poop. But now there's nothing to release it like a working sphincter. So it just builds up. Now, one thing that I don't understand that I'm hoping you'll understand is the blood on the face and trickling from the mouth. Um, depending on what they died from, like if it was tuberculosis related, I could see blood in the mouth being a thing. When when blood is all congealing dead, it's not like that bright red oxygen-rich blood. It's going to be all dark and gross, so they could probably see it. They're like, that's blood, but it's really like grave juice. Yeah. Now, the other thing is the hair and nails uh, appearing to have grown could actually be caused by skin shrinking around the follicles or the cuticles, making the appearance exactly. making the appearance of growth when in reality all that's happening is the skin is shriveling because it's like dead raisin. Pardon, I'll, I'll edit that square one out. <laughs> so now that we have a plausible explanation, we need to understand they did not. So, okay, you bring your virgin boy on its virgin white or black stallion, depending on the, the culture, uh, to the graveyard. It bucks. You see that there's holes in the ground. You dig it up. You find this bloating, par- uh, allegedly, like, like blood-covered vampire. So how do you kill it? You mean the town's being laid waste to. How do you kill it? You know? Uh, you pull its heart out. And you punch it a bunch, and then you light it on fire, and then you make someone drink the ashes. No. Close. That's what they did in Rhode Island. It is what they did in Rhode Island. Um, but, uh, they, okay, there's multiple different ways. The most, common, <laughs> the most common method was a stake, either through the heart or, in Russia and Germany, directly through the mouth. Okay. Uh, ash was used... In cushion. Yes. Ash... <laughs> Ash was can't get out and haunt us if we nail you to this coffin. Um, so ash was used in Russia and in the Baltic states, hawthorn in Serbia, and aspen was common in many other places. Now, aspen was used because it was believed that Jesus was crucified on an aspen cross. Okay. Which I thought... Gotta bring Jesus into it. Yes, we gotta bring Jesus into it. Of course they do. Uh, other methods of destruction included to pack decapitation, which is common in Germanic states, and using iron pins to nail the corpse down during burial, as was done in the Romani culture. 
According to McNally in 1969, 1969, 50 years ago, 50 years ago in Romania, 50 years ago in Romania, a girl completed suicide. And since she, this made her, what they considered this made her a risk of becoming a vampire, a stake was put through her heart during the funeral. Okay. Yeah. Other less desecrating methods include sprinkling the corpse with holy water or giving them another funeral and burial or shoving um, a wad of garlic or brick into their mouth. So glad you said mouth. <laughs> what else would I say? I don't know. They were weird. They did some weird things. Yeah. Okay, so a fan favorite which toes the line of desecration was incineration of the whole body or some of the organs. In some cultures, like in Rhode Island, <laughs> they would burn parts, they would incinerate parts of the the organs. Like, like some oh, yeah, yeah, burn the organs and mix it into water and make family members drink. That's what I was about to say. Um, so, the Wabanaki vampire-like creature the, that I talked about, it can be killed by fire. You light the entire thing on fire. You just burn it. Kill it with fire. Okay. Now that we've talked about the origin of vampires, um, why did people think vampires were an issue? Because people kept dying of tuberculosis all over the place? Sometimes. There, there are a lot of different things, because there are also many different types of vampires. There are the true vampires that, you know, are said to, you know, suck the life force out of, out of you. Um, you usually right. drink your blood. That was when someone died, usually of tuberculosis. They called it consumption. You know, they died somebody else starts dying of consumption. And they go, oh, this isn't consumption. This was vampirism. Somebody died of vampirism, and now they're a vampire, and now they're killing this person with vampirism. And that was usually... Now they're just vampiring all over the town. <laughs> Other things could be like if some people believe that some vampires only attack pregnant women, women going through childbirth, newborns, um, they, they said that that was the work of a vampire. It was pretty much to explain the unexplainable of terrible things that were happening in their town. Uh, without further ado, <laughs> let me tell you about <laughs> the very first vampire. I'm going to tell you about Lilith. Lilith? Oh, okay, we're going way back. <laughs> we go way back, the OG. <laughs> Lilith entered Jewish de demonology from Babylonian sources, with some evidence even linking the lore to Sumerian culture. Since then, it was adopted into Islamic and Christian lore, as all three of these religions share a mother faith. So, there's three different stories to to Lilith. One of them doesn't really make too much sense to me, um, only for one part, and I think you'll get it too, because I know you're smarter than me, and if this didn't make sense to me, either... It's because I'm dumb, or because it doesn't make sense, and you'll know, regardless. Okay? So, um... Okay. The most common belief was that Lilith was Adam's first wife. And we all know the story about how God created Adam, and Ad and then from E Adam created Eve. But what's left out of the story is how God created both Adam and Lilith to be husband and wife, and when Adam refused to treat Lilith as an equal, she left him. As you do. <laughs> get it girl <laughs> Adam then talked to God who sent three angels to try and get her to return in Christian lore this is three saints which makes no sense to me because this is the first part that doesn't make sense if it's saints because there's only supposed to be Adam and Lilith at this point but regardless 
uh, when Lilith refused um, to return to Adam, God punished her by destroying 100 of her offspring each day, which caused her to retaliate by attacking women in childbirth as well as infants. Now, the only part that confuses me, and you went to Catholic schools, so maybe you know this. I don't know if they taught you about Lilith in Catholic uh, school. Not at okay. all. Like, I didn't. The first time I learned about Lilith was when I was in college. Okay. I just don't understand how God can destroy a hundred of her offspring a day if she was, like, married to Adam for a hot minute, and they never say where these, like, hundreds of offspring a day come from. I don't know. Maybe I just missed that part. Um, but other sources say that the origin of Lilith is that she was a woman who joined Adam and Eve after the fall of man, and together Adam and Lilith produced enough demons to fill the world. Another story states that Lilith was the bride of Samael, who was also known as Lucifer and Satan. <laughs> now, Lilith is described as a female demon with long hair and wings who vampirizes newborn children and women in childbirth. She also plays the role of a succubus, seducing men in their sleep in order to create demons with an army of succubi at her beck and call. Get it, girl. Now, the logical explanation goes back to what I was saying, where it, the origin of vampires. Uh, Lilith was probably used as a scapegoat in order to explain the death of women in childbirth, as well as what I can imagine was ridiculously high infant mortality rates back in the day. And okay. this was the, I had to find a way to word this as PG as possible. So I'm sorry, dear listeners who are expecting something PG because there's no way to word this in a non, in like a family friendly way. With these are now Lilith was based on Jewish, Islamic and Christian lore, which believes in like chastity, purity and like all that other wonderful fun stuff. And they didn't quite understand at the time how men could have nocturnal emissions if they had, <laughs> if they were living a pure life. So men would, <clears throat> would when men would have this, it was like, oh no, it's oh it's not anything dirty <laughs> or nasty. You just must have been victim to Lilith and her army of succubi. Oh my uh, god. Okay, so a lot of times vampires, as you mentioned, uh, were used to explain the death from contagious diseases. If someone died of what we now call consumption or TB, then a family member or townsfolk a while later would, you know, they, they'd catch it not knowing they caught it. They'd die when they, you know, when they realized they caught it. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> vampires were used as a way of explaining this. A uh, family member did not die of the same disease their loved one did because their loved one died of a vampire attack. And now that loved one is turned into a vampire and coming back to attack someone else. You know, this was before the knowledge of epidemiology or the... The, the science of how infectious diseases spread. It was also back before people understood that sometimes a disease has a wonderful little period in which it's asymptomatic. So you, know, you can catch TB yep. and then not have any symptoms for a couple weeks. So, you know, you're, you're tending to dear old granny. Dear old granny dies. Because you were tending to dear old granny, you caught TB. And now you have TB and everyone's like, oh my God, granny was a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Granny, no. Uh, Two examples of this actually happened in my, in my state. For the sake of time, I'm just going to talk about the one I know best, which is the Vampire of Manchester, Vermont, otherwise known as Rachel Burton. So in 1790, Captain Isaac Burton, um, he had a new bride named Rachel, who died of what they were calling consumption. 
Now, in the book Vampires of New England by Christopher Rondina, um, he stated that when Rachel became ill, she fought the disease to the last before finally on her deathbed gripping Isaac's hand and declaring in her strange, sick voice that she would never, ever leave him. Dramatic. Very dramatic. Dun, dun, dun. So he then, you know, the love of his yes. life, his beautiful bride, is dead, you know? So he went to seclusion yeah. and mourning, but then, okay, I actually just need to read directly from this book because I don't know how to word it any more facetiously. <laughs> um... <laughs> Rachel's passing deeply affected Captain Burton, and for a time he remained secluded in a large home he had built for him and his wife. Eventually, however, duty compelled Isaac to face the world once more. Almost exactly one year after Rachel's death, the captain took a new bride, Hulda Powell. Duty calls. Hulda Powell, she became Hulda Burton. And Isaac's life began, began anew. Sadly, a peaceful existence was not fated for the husband, nor his new bride. So what happened? Alright? A few months after he married his new bride, Hulda began to show signs of the same disease that had took his first wife. The townsfolk took turns, you know, going and helping Isaac in taking care of his, his wife Hulda. And then somebody decided to open their mouth right. and go, this is the Olden's fault. And then they were like, my God, I think you're right. <laughs> so the townsfolk and um, Captain Burton dug up her grave. Like you do. Like you do. And Rachel's corpse was um, allegedly bloated to the point of being past recognition with blood-like liquid ooze like dripping from the mouth gross yeah now we now as we discussed know it's a sign of gases being released during decay as well as decomposition in general but the townsfolk did not know that so they gathered by the local blacksmith's forge after uh, you know after taking rachel's heart lungs and liver out i'm surprised there was any heart lungs and liver left after a year vampirism organ soup but they um they tossed the the they tossed the three organs into the hot coals people said that during this a noxious odor and a very visible gas was released shocking i can't imagine why and some people even said that they saw an apparition of rachel come out of the forge screaming they made that up Maybe. So, yeah, so they did this. They did the, the ritual to get the vampire to yeet the F out of their town. And Hulda was saved and they all lived happily ever after, right? Of course not. <laughs> no, Hulda died regardless. <laughs> but the townsfolk just assumed that Hulda was too weak and they performed the ceremony too late. Well, I'm kind of impressed that... It was the wives that kept getting sick, and I'm assuming, like, he would sit by their bedside, but he didn't get sick. Vampirism. Or he was poisoning them. <laughs> yeah, there was also a... The last known vampire-destroying ritual in Vermont. Would you would you like to, to guess what, what year? Uh, 1952. Not, you're 100 years off. It was 1834. Okay. And that was the court. That's still too. That's still too. Uh, 
reason. Yeah, and that was the Corrin. Fa- oh no, the, do you, do you know when the last vampire um was gotten rid of in Rhode Island? Like in the 1900s, I'm guessing. 1892. Close. I was close. Uh, I still wouldn't win the prices right, but I was close. And that was Mercy Brown. That's the one I'm thinking of. That was the first episode of the Lore podcast. He talks about Mercy Brown. Yes, that was the one of the best documented cases of an exhumation of a corpse in order to perform the rituals to banish the undead manifestation, according to Wikipedia. Basically, to go into it, because I don't know this one very, very much, but I believe it took place in... Let me get my book out again. Because I wrote down the date, and I didn't write down the... I'm just going to read you the, the, mm-hmm. the first... The, the first two lines of this book, okay? In chapter 8, 1892, down, okay. down Rhode Island, The Last Vampire. March 18, 1892. Pale winter dawn is just staining the eastern horizon as a small group of men, silent in their dark coats and gloves, enter a hilltop graveyard. That, that's very yes. dramatic. Exeter, Rhode Island. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. There was... The Brown family had suffered a string of misfortune in which there was a sequence of tuberculosis infections over the last 20 years in their household. Uh, at this time, as they, they, all the sources call it consumption, we know that means tuberculosis nine out of ten times. Mary Eliza was the mother of the family, and she was the first to die. And in 1883, the eldest daughter, Mary Olive, died in 1899. Um, Mercy died. I'm trying to remember. I don't want to just read off the book. So I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head because I didn't write it down. I wasn't really going to talk too much about it, but now I'm going to talk about it. So friends, neighbors, people in the town, other family members believe that one of the dead family members uh, must have been the cause of this because it must have, oh, people are dying of tuberculosis. It must be a vampire. You have vampires in your blood. You should do desecration (laughs) of corpses about it. So Edwin was was sick but not dead yeah i think i think they send him to colorado at one point they're like get some mountain air in your lungs you'll be less dead that way okay so uh i think george brown who i'm pretty sure at this point must have been the only surviving member or healthy member they convinced the town convinced him to exhume bodies of the the family to, to exhume pretty much his entire dead family and like they got the villagers the doctor reporters on march 17th of 1892 and mary and mary olive were both quote exhibiting the expected levels of decomposition so they were like oh no those aren't the vampires they're 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 rightly rotted um however mercy and i'll, I'll let you know she's the the last one to die she died pretty sure it was within six months of that uh, and she exhibited almost no decomposition i'm also going to mention that they were exhuming the bodies in rhode island in march when everything was frozen yeah i was gonna say wasn't it still yes, like they really probably cold? buried her in what's pretty much essentially the ground is a refrigerator at that point they probably hadn't even buried her in the ground yet. Like, if the ground was still frozen, she was probably just they in a mausoleum. Exhumed, uh, with Clarence Adams, they exhumed him, but it was a mausoleum. So maybe you're right. Uh, the doctor okay. checked, and she still had blood in her heart. You know, yeah. Because it was fin- frozen. Her fingernails <laughs> and hair looked like it had grown slightly, because, you know, it's frozen, but that doesn't stop the, the skin from shrinking a little bit. Yep. 
because the moisture is still exactly. gonna leave um, the body so somehow. So they were like, "Oh my god, she must be a vampire!" So they <laughs> da, da, da. they took out her heart. Did they take out her lungs, or was it just her heart or liver? I think it was her heart and okay. her. Okay, I don't. I don't remember reading about this. I think the the lungs was pretty much a Vermont thing. I was gonna say definitely the heart possibly i know it was the heart and liver i just can't remember if the lungs were involved (laughs) but uh, they they burned them until they were nothing but ash and then they mix the ashes into water and then they give gave the the quote-unquote tonic to edwin and he died (laughs) yeah that's what happens when you drink your sister's organ ashes that are contaminated yes, with tuberculosis. Fairly certain after after that was all done, they continued desecrating Mercy's body, which I have not been able to figure out what exactly they did to it. But after they properly desecrated it, they reburied it in the Baptist church. Huh. Grand old time. See, if 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 I was Mercy and I wasn't already haunting them at that point, I'd like specifically come <laughs> back to f- them all up. So be like, I'm sorry, you did what to my body? Okay, now I'm haunting you. Wasn't before going yeah. to now. Basically, TLDR to the whole thing. People get spooked by diseases they don't understand. People get spooked by tragedies they don't understand. They blame it on vampires. They desecrate corpses and say that they're heroes it does it's fine it helps them sleep at night so yeah anyways that is my story on vampires i love it oh that was really interesting the especially like the bit about lilith i'll be honest the only time we ever talked about vampires in catholic school was i had a priest that was very firmly into the belief that uh when judas hung himself after getting the 30 pieces of silver, he also turned into a vampire. Oh, I didn't know that. I have never heard that outside of that theology classroom, and that was a really weird priest. So I don't know if that's an actual thing, or if he was just trying to mess with us, but... He was in white camping. vampires. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a little bit of a mess. I sorry that the um the last anecdote was I honestly was not gonna do Mercy Brown and then you kept mentioning it, so it's like now I have to. So, and I did I'm write sorry. Notes, and it's like and I did not write any notes on it, so I gotta do this off the back of my head every now and then glancing at Vampires of New England by Christopher. <laughs> so um so I think something that should be a little announcement is the fact that Kevin and I, uh, did you want to tell them what we're planning on possibly doing? Uh, sure. We're, uh, discussing the possibility of maybe recording some like shorter, like almost snippet episodes when we find a topic that's interesting, but not enough information for a full length episode. Like I've already run into a few, like, spooky things and i'm like oh that's really cool but i can only find like a paragraph on wikipedia repeated on 17 websites and it's cool (laughs) but not enough for like an hour-long episode so yeah we're probably going to start those within the next few weeks yeah all right so um oh another uh should we mention ziggy i don't know oh yeah let's talk about that my darling hubbin, Ziggy, is going to be um, helping me with the sound editing to try to get it um, not only better quality, but um, in the fact that he has more editing experience than me, but better quality in the fact that he has more time than me um, 
given the fact that his work schedule is more comprehensive and he has so he has more days off. So Ziggy is going to be cool. with editing. Hooray! Yay! Thank you, Ziggy. Thank you, Ziggy. My dear hubbin. Much appreciated. Very, very appreciated. Uh, okay, well, should we tell people where to find us? Um, yeah, well, you see, if you get to Southern Vermont and you head up I-89, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Digitally find us, digitally find us. No, that's bad too. Stay out of my email. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, you can digitally find the podcast. Okay, yeah. Uh, we're on Twitter. Um, find us on Twitter at TFabMonsterPod. You can also find us on Instagram at TrulyFabulouslyMonstrous, which is also our Gmail. TrulyFabulouslyMonstrous at gmail.com. Send us anything. We would love to hear from you. We really would. It's Send us stuff. Say yeah. hi. Say hi. Tell us how to pronounce things that we don't know how to pronounce tell us about the vampire in your hometown and what your town did to stop it that'd be neat i would read all of those that would be interesting but yeah and then uh tune in uh later this week to hear a true crime train wreck story yeah so it'll be fun it will be definitely fun and it will be done by kevin which means even though they are saying it's going to be a train wreck it is going to be Ten times better than anything I could ever work on. It's gonna be long. I can tell you that right now. It's gonna be long. <laughs> so we hope you tune in next time. Yep, we'll be there. We hope you will too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>